Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, and we are continuing our series today called The Time in Between, the time in between Jesus coming in flesh and his coming in glory. And of course, you can find out more about that at the foundation resources on wellscongregationalservices.net. Um, with us once again, Pastor Tom Spiegelberg from Saving Grace in Mobile, Alabama, and Pastor Dan Hobbin from Mount Calvary in Flagstaff, Arizona. So Dan and Tom, good to be with you once again. Uh, Tom, let's start with you if we could. So this Sunday, uh, we're at proper 28 in year A, um, still in kind of, it's no longer called the end time season, but of course that's sort of the theme of all these readings at the tail end of the Pentecost season. What's the main thought you want worshipers to leave with this Sunday? Yeah. Hey, great to be here. Hello, Dan. Hello, John. Um, I, John, I'm assuming that that face tattoo eventually will wash off. <laughs> oh, no, no, this, this is, this is forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good to be here once again and uh, discussing a little bit of the uh, of the readings coming up. Yeah, and, and so going into this one, and I don't know if you guys had the same feeling with this, but again, going into these in-between period of time, and you have pretty much all of Matthew chapter 25, which rolls right after Matthew 24, when it's talking about the end of the world. And I guess for for this particular reading, this is probably a long explanation, as I looked at, okay, so what's the main thought as you're bringing it across on this? I think a lot of times I've jumped to this one or somewhat of a parallel account, but it's not exactly the same. But the Luke, when you talk about the talents that were handed out, and I've always just jumped into the mindset of stewardship, right? So taking care of everything that the Lord has given. But I guess putting it right between the first part of Matthew chapter 25 and the last part of Matthew chapter 25, I, I started to to really question some of the, some of the how I presented it and left out a big portion of it, especially to Jesus's audience and who he was talking to, and the, just the uh, just the end times um, implications that this particularly has. So the the parable is about um, you know using what the Lord has given you and obviously be faithful with with what everything that you have. But then my challenge was, but how do you tie that into just the waiting, the waiting period? And so I think, I think when, when I preach on this, the main point I want to bring across is not just being faithful with everything that God's given us, our time, talents, and treasures, which is a great stewardship, you know, theme to it, uh, but also, but also to bring out maybe even more the idea that He's called us as servants, or that word doulos uh, there, just called us to be his representatives. He didn't put all of his wealth with the landowner as he left into the hands of a banker, who certainly as a professional would have done a great job. He didn't put all of his uh, wealth into the hands of an investment broker or anything else, but he put it into the hands of a servant. And I, I think that plays a significant role and maybe the, the proper way of then taking a look at what we have and how we use that to God's kingdom, ultimately waiting for his return. I, I, I think that's kind of where I ended up after looking yeah. at fresh eyes at this parable again. Yeah, uh, the, the theme presented in the foundation uh, this week is a time for faithful service. So kind of encompassing that relationship, uh, us as the servants of the master. Um, yeah, and then what, what we're doing with what he has entrusted to us. So uh, great. Uh, Dan, We'll be thinking about the gospel as our sermon text, this parable with which we're pretty familiar. Uh, before that, 
Could you talk to us a little bit about the first and second reading for the day? The first lesson is from Isaiah chapter 1, and from verse 10, it starts out, Hear the word of the Lord, your rulers of Sodom. And of course, he isn't talking to the people of Sodom, but the people of Jerusalem. And so he's really grabbing hold of their attention and what's going on here, what's the problem. The people of Judah, and Jerusalem in particular, have really looked at God as the one-talent servant did in the gospel, where they see this hard boss and it doesn't matter what you do, you just cannot keep him happy. And so they're just going through the motions. Um, so that's the first lesson. Um, of course, you don't want to miss the gospel of that Isaiah chapter one, where in spite of that sin, come and I will cleanse you. So you you see that this is not a hard boss. This is a loving, kind and patient God, just as the master is in the gospel lesson. Second lesson, Romans chapter 12, uh, opening verse there, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So true service is not giving to God, but okay, this is what I owe you and I'll do it. So it's not grudging service, but um, it's a life filled with faithful service, loving service, um, and thanksgiving for all that the master has given and continues to give to us. Yeah, thank you. The um, uh, Your comments on the, the first reading from Isaiah 1 just bring to mind um, how odd it is that Israel would think of the Lord as, uh, yeah, the master who cannot be satisfied, because that essentially was like the, the Canaanite gods, you know, who lived around them. Uh, that is how, that's the only way people knew how to approach them. We'll do something, maybe something, um, you know, completely outrageous, uh, sacrifice our children or whatever, in hopes that God will do something good for us. Uh, and Israel had no reason at all to to think of the Lord that way, um, because he had made this covenant with them. But uh, but still, that's where they find themselves um, as Isaiah begins his prophecy. Um, well, let's go then to the gospel of the day, which we'll consider as our sermon text, uh, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Uh, Tom, could you um, continue on with uh, some thoughts on that parable and um, helps for preachers as they look toward proclaiming it this Sunday? Yeah, and, and maybe what I'll do too is uh, going through this longer portion of of Greek and kind of walking through a lot of it. Um, the the uh, just the one thing that that I kind of took out and I, I noticed a little bit, and uh, but then I would just want to follow up with a question with you guys. Um, so there's. There, there's a similar paragraph, uh, parable in Luke chapter 19, and it's just different enough. I, I think I, I, I don't know where I ran across this, but somewhere I took a look and they said that, you know, there's about 300 and some words in, in the original Greek in this Matthew account. And if you compare those two, there's enough differences there that only about 25 or 30% of the words are about the same. So sometimes we get these parables and you get, um, you know, in all three accounts, and they're almost word for word, right? Or they're very, very similar. But this is only in two. And the one in Luke and the one in, in Matthew are are different enough that I, I think I've struggled looking at them both at different times of like bringing out, is it the same point? Or is it the different point? Or should you treat them differently? Like, is this a matter of feeding of the 5,000 and feeding of the 4,000, but you don't want to make them just the same? They're separate events, you know? And kind of looking at those two things. So um, I, as a whole, I looked a little more at that. It was very interesting to dive in 
to some of that and see some of the differences. Now, I, I think that one of the reasons is, this is more just a background and not necessarily the Greek, but I think one of the big reasons were, were the audience that Jesus was speaking to. So I think I'm correct in this. In Matthew 25, it's probably on that Tuesday on Mount Olive when he's delivering uh, these parables. And it's a more narrow focus um, group, probably the disciples. And then uh, kind of, and, and as he's speaking, the the Luke one, I, I believe it was the week before, I think it was in the site of Jericho, he was speaking to a broader audience, uh, and there was, there was you know, Pharisees and Sadducees and somebody, everybody else in there. So it took on a little bit of a different uh, feel to it on both sides, and you can see that in some of the wording. Um, but as it, so as it came down to, I didn't use the Luke text a whole lot to kind of say, okay, to bring this out. And a couple of the commentaries I read, you know, compared and put, put them by side by side. But I think they're really worth evaluating on their own grounds as you go through both of those. And so even as I went through Matthew, there, there wasn't a ton, I think, that jumped out at me. I'm not a super great Greek guy anyway. But um, the, only, the only thing that really struck me in the one thing was just the fact that, you know, the, the servant idea. And so often how we focus on the talents and the amounts and everything else, but just the simple fact that he used the servants and went with it. And then I guess I, I was just going to throw out a question for you guys, because I'm always curious about this. Like when you tackle this chunk of Greek and, and feel free to not answer if you don't want to, but when you, ta- how do you, how do you approach this in your text? Like if you're sitting down on a Monday or Tuesday or a Friday or Saturday and saying, I'm going to write a sermon on this. How do you approach a big chunk of Greek like this? Do you go through it carefully, word for word? Do you look at the broader picture because it is a narrative as opposed to like one of the epistles? Uh, how, what, what's your, what, what are your guys' way of going through that? Because I don't know that mine's the best. Yeah. Dan, what would your methodology be? I mean, I think I would approach it like I approach any other text, but um, because it is a narrative, I think it's you have some repetition, so it is easier. So then, look at the differences, you know, between the servants, um, what they in this specific text, what they receive, and then their reaction, and their attitude towards the master. So then, I guess I would focus on any keywords there, you know, especially like their emotions. You know, what do they think of, and look up those words, do a, a word study. So that would be my approach. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose as I would go through it, um, maybe it would be a little bit more quickly because I'm maybe trying to follow just kind of the the story. What what is the point Jesus is after? Although if there were significant vocables or something that I wanted to, uh, you know, had a hunch this is significant, would chase those down and spend a little more time on those. Um, but yeah, it is just a longer uh, a longer. Uh, section to translate or go through exegetically. So I might focus more on the narrative as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Thanks, gentlemen. Um, yeah. Um, here's here's a question that always comes to mind. And Tom, you hinted at it as you were talking about kind of the, the theme of the day. Um, what are the bags of gold? Um, how do you present uh, and explain Okay, what is Jesus referring to in the story when he talks about the bags of gold? Um, what do you include in your explanation? Dan? I guess I followed Professor Bruggs' lead on this. He has a good, um, it's not really an article, I think it's the editorial for um, volume 99. Um, 
issue one. It's 2002. So if our listeners can grab that and take a look at it. And at the beginning, he really, he says, yeah, I think immediately you go to uh, abilities. God has gifted us with different abilities, but then, you know, he comes to the conclusion that it's really maybe more about the responsibilities, but in that um, editorial, because it really read more like a sermon, you know, to, to fellow called workers, um, he starts with the abilities and then what abilities do you have compared to the guy down the road in another parish, but then what responsibilities, you know, they might be different. And so are you feeling like you're under, underused in that small parish or, um, so he made the specific law application that way. And so I guess as I was approaching this, I thought, you know, that, that seemed to make sense. It's not really, I don't think it's either, or it seems to be both. And, um, mm-hmm. and then what Tom was saying earlier about the parable of the Minas and Luke, um, is that Luke 19, where there, they, they all receive the same number. And then I think Brooks comment there too, is that that's, and other commentaries I said, focus on that's God's word. You know, we, we all have the same amount. And so I've used that as a confirmation sermon text, you know, to say to the confirmands, your Bible has as many pages as mine does, you know, what, what are you going to do with it? And and that seemed to make sense to, to differentiate those two. So I guess I would shy away from really bringing much in from the parable of Minas, let that be its own thing and just focus on the parable of the talents as its own. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. I guess I've approached it also considering the context of, uh, you know, this stuff, the final days of Jesus' public ministry. Um, we've got these parables around it um, of you pointing very much to his coming in glory um, and kind of getting us thinking, getting his disciples thinking about, you know, what are you going to do really with everything I've entrusted to you um, in this time in between, in the the time before I come back? Um, so yeah, I, I think of, of all our possessions, all that God has entrusted to us, our abilities, our talents, uh, opportunities, I guess I wouldn't, I would probably include in that also, yeah, the gospel, you could say Jesus himself, as he speaks to this, to the first audience, uh, his first audience, I think Jesus is getting them thinking, um, you know, what are you going to do with, with me, uh, with the opportunity you have to believe in me, um, I'm right here. Um, or you, are you going to, uh, turn away from me, um, or not? So, um, I guess I portrayed it in kind of a broader way or I, early on, I think I saw it as a more narrow application. Now I, I guess I broadened it out a little bit. Um, yeah, that's, that's, I, I think where I've come on, uh, come to conclusion with too, is I know I've used this in a stewardship setting before, right? Just be you use your gifts faithfully, but it's sitting in chapter twenty-five and in that end times, it's really more about the, the kingdom work and how we use what we have. And I I just read an article the other day, and I don't know how it plays in exactly, but it was kind of that same point. It was actually from evangelical circles, but they were talking about like so Christians have fairly a, a fairly good work ethic. Like we, for the most part, you know. Um, uh, if you follow the statistics, we, we tend to work hard and try to succeed and all this kind of stuff. Um, but the article is making a point of how, how do we, how do we sometimes reflect the American hardworking culture and then put it into our Christian faith as well. So it's not just about working hard and making money and giving your money to church and, you know, do that, but really it's broader than that, where it's like, 
everything God has given us is really just given to us to bring the kingdom of God either into somebody else's heart or eventually when the when the Lord comes. And it, it just made me start thinking about uh, it started making that that it, that it really encompasses more than time, just talents and treasures, of which you guys alluded to already. Yeah, yeah. So pre uh, presenting the malady in this text, or pre how do you preach the law from this text? I mean, I think I would go to the unfaithful servant, but um, yeah, what do you what do you uh, say to people based on that part of the parable, or what thoughts for application do you try to bring across as you? Um, talk about the law in this text. Uh, Dan? The, the big one, of course, is the attitude of the, the one-talent servant, you know, how he sees the master as a master, a slave driver, and, you know, accuses of him of harvesting where he has not um, sown. And it's a caricature, isn't it? It's, 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 it's a description of the master that he has made for himself, which is not true. And so what is my, what is my connection, you know, with the Lord Jesus uh, and the talents, the treasures um, that he's given to me? Um, do I see him as this slave driver that, you know, in the Isaiah past, the Isaiah reading, uh, we just can never keep happy? Um, are we serving because we have to, because no one else will do it? You know, and I, I can, I can be guilty of the, the one talent servant that I'm the only one working around here, you know, like personally could have that attitude and then look down on others. Um, and this is maybe getting into application, but that's not for me to worry about. You know, the, the master will take care of that. You know, if someone is a, not using their talents, he'll redistribute it. So don't worry about that. Just be faithful in what you have to do. And, and look, you know, as Tom said, he could have hired a banker. Um, I was thinking too, he could have entrusted those talents to family members who should have been trusted better, right? So why to the servants? Because he wants them to share in the joy of ruling with him. And um, that the one talent servant totally missed that. And, and how often don't I miss that? You know, I think of God's commands as, okay, I have to do this. Well, God wants, just wants me to share in the joy of ruling with him. Okay. Yeah, Tom, uh, how do you express the, the kind of law thoughts in this text? Yeah, uh, and <laughs> You know, it's a little hard, too, because Jesus doesn't come off. Uh, you could take Jesus in a bad light in this parable. I think we talked about that last time where, you know, where you, you look at some of the stories and obviously not everything carries over. But I mean, this is a harsh master, right? If you look at it, um, I think if I had that money and I had put somebody in charge, let's say it was your three kids. And one of the kids comes back and says, well, dad, I know you're really hard with money. So I just made sure I didn't blow it. For some of my kids, I'd be like, wow, that is awesome. I'm so thankful because for sure they would have, right? But so <laughs> Jesus comes across as a harsh, but I, I think really the focus, like you guys said, I'm just repeating what you said, comes on to the, the attitude that the, that the third servant had. Uh, I heard, and then maybe this jumps into illustration a little bit, but I was just trying to think in my own head, how do you narrow down what the real problem was? And um, I, I heard an illustration about a village. Uh, there was a chicken and a pig that were walking around the village, and they were uh, just commenting on the people in town. And outside on the outskirts of town, they found this little orphan girl, and she was hungry, and she was by herself. And so they decided nice, and the chicken said, you know what, let's cheer her up. Let's, let's make sure she's got something to eat, and let's just help her out. I don't know if you guys heard this before. It's kind of a dumb illustration. But the pig's like, yeah, that's a great idea. You got in mind and the chicken says let's make her a lovely 
uh, a bacon and egg breakfast, which of course, <laughs> to which the pig responded, that's great. You, you're giving a little bit of a sacrifice and you're popping out a couple eggs. But for me, that's total sacrifice if I'm giving her a piece of bacon because I got to die. And as I was thinking of that, that really seems to be kind of the crucial part. As we look at what God has given us, it's not just taking care of or giving our 10% or 5% or showing up to church on Sunday. It's really all or nothing, right? And, and that's the, the two other servants. It didn't matter whether they had 10 or whether they had five. They were all in. And the one that had what he had been given would nothing. And, and I, I think that, I think that that's kind of the, the malady that I'd come out with. Okay. Yeah. So instead of uh, viewing this as um, this is our master who has entrusted us, uh, us with everything, I mean, everything that we have has been given to us by him. Living in faithfulness to him, living with an attitude uh, that expresses trust. Um, yeah, just the polar opposite of that, um, withholding from him being afraid to do any of that or characterizing him unfairly uh, and using that as a rationalization, um, something like that, right? Um, well, then where's the gospel in this text, or how would you present that? Um, since this is another one of those parables where there's a pretty strong warning that comes across as kind of a, the chief point, but where's the gospel in this text? How do you present that? Tom? Yeah, I just want to volunteer Dan to come up with that one first. So Dan, if uh, <laughs> I like putting Dan on the spot, <laughs> Dan, your thoughts oh, since time has passed the box. Sure, I want. Uh, yeah, I wanted to go back to the, the law part of it. Um, you know, Tom talking about your kids that well, at least they didn't blow it, and and I think that's a good to make a parallel to say he wasn't like the younger son in the parable, the prodigal son who did take and waste his you know the money, and. Do our majority of uh, members feel that way? I'm pretty decent. Here I am. So I'm not using my skill with computer coding to steal bank account money. Uh, I'm not using my strength at school to beat up kids at recess. Good, good for you. But how are you using those gifts? Do do you acknowledge them as gifts from God to be used to his glory? Um, and then I think a specific application, um, you know, are you a A-plus student who's getting by with B grades because you can just look at your notes once and ace the, you know get a decent grade in the test. Well, is that really being faithful? Um, and then I think that just applies to work, applies to my calling as a husband, as a father. Um, so then I guess you could um, jump from that. So what's the gospel? I guess I just thought of um, in Jesus, we have a 10 talent servant, right? I mean, he had all the talents and how did he use it? to serve, to wash feet, to preach to those who are stubborn, to heal those like Malchus here who could really care less, you know, about what Jesus had done for him. And he's, he's like, he's like the billionaire who spends himself poor to come up with a cure for cancer, you know, where he goes all in, as Tom was saying, and he gives up his life, you know, so that we can be part of this privilege of, of ruling with him. Um, how can you call him this taskmaster? He's he's a treasure giver, right? And look at it starts with forgiveness, and then it just goes on from there because he wants you to be not just standing on the sidelines watching him do the rest of it, but he says, "No, come join with me." And wow, that, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, Tom, thoughts about on the gospel in this text? 
Yeah, I like that, Dan. I always like your God's Bless application. Um, I, I went a little bit different because at some point, I think we talked about this last time, not that you're infusing gospel into this. I mean, you can pick up these key elements, but there's a, there's a lot of judgment, a lot of harshity going on with one of these. You hate to say the reading and then say, amen, because people are going to be like, oh, okay, weeping and gnashing of teeth. But um, I... Along the same lines, just looking at, you know, Christ as substitute, in, in my mind, the crowd that Jesus was talking to, to begin with, whether it was the Luke or Matthew account, is is, is pre-resurrection, right? So the idea that, that God has come, I, 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 the whole meta-narrative from the very beginning, but God created this world, and then it was broken. But from that very point on, he promised to come back. And so you have all of the Old Testament prophecies and everything else. So he gives all of his people, all of this stuff in the Old Testament time, their talents, their treasures, the word of God, the prophet, everybody else. And he promises to come back. And then, and I was kind of thinking as, it, as it's at the end of Pentecost and leading up to Advent. And then he did come back. Like, there's the real grace. Like, and he kept his promise. And he came back. And here the master is. And now the guy's like almost dumbfounded. Like, oh, he is here. Boy, I'm sure glad I used my gifts. But but he did come back, and then maybe that same gospel, you know, apply that to us. Now, looking at the end times, and he's coming back again. Like, he really kept his promise. And all of the disciples that he chose, whether they had five or whether they had one or wh whatever, the you might label them as different gifts and different talents. And again, I'm going back to kind of that time, talent, treasure thing. But um, whatever it was, it, it didn't matter if they were huge in the kingdom of God, like the Apostle Paul or not. They were each given uh, the gifts by their maker. And he came back. He came back for us. He came back to get us. He came right. back right. in order to pay for our sins and he'll come again. So that's kind of the thought I was going to go on. Okay. Good. Yeah. Those are some good thoughts for preachers to work with as they draw out the, the gospel in the text. And uh, yeah, possibly using other sections of scripture too, to put the gospel in a bigger context here. Um other uh, applications or illustrations that might be helpful. Um, one that I thought of or a connection to make was it makes sense now that the Romans 12 uh, reading is attached to this or connected to this. Um, uh, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Why? In view of God's mercy. So kind of that the attitude, um, uh, the sanctification aspect of this text, we could say is viewing uh, our master as a loving and gracious, who is so generous, uh, entrusting these things to us, um, now offering ourselves in gratitude for that. Other, other thoughts by way of uh, application or illustration could be helpful here. Um, Dan? Yeah, just going back to how ludicrous the one talent servant is when he says, you know, I didn't do anything because I know what a hard man you are. You know, that's like... Um, your boss telling you, I want the bathrooms cleaned by the, you know, the end of the workday. And you lean on your mop all afternoon doing nothing. And when he shows up, you say, oh, I was I was too afraid of you to do anything. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. If you're really afraid, you would do something, right? Something. So I, I think it, you know, just making that analogy might be helpful to um, help us understand why does the master call him wicked and lazy? Because he's just telling lies. Uh, about his master, and so maybe a, maybe a more gospel way to think of it is um, the master's maybe like the father who takes his kids on a difficult hike. 
not because he wants to punish them, but because he wants them to share in the joy of the experience and standing on that summit together. And anyway, no good father would make his kids trek and bear feet, bare feet without snacks. And neither does your heavenly father, right? So he equips us for the work that he's given us to do because he wants us to, sh to share in that joy of, of um, ruling with him. Okay. Okay. Tom, thoughts for application or further illustrations? Yeah, I, I like the leaning on the mop one. Um, I had two thoughts and they were <laughs> and two, two different ideas and thoughts of just illustrations. And they were just, it came out of some of the reading that I had done. I was reading, I don't know if any of you guys read outside of Lutheran circles, but every now and then I get Christianity today. And it's interesting mm -hmm. to see some of the parallels that are going on in a bigger Christian world. And the one article I was reading about, and it actually tied in with a Lutheran author that I saw, it talked a little bit about how like in, in evangelicals, and partly that's the country I'm in. So I, I end up finding out about all this stuff that's going on. But um, the, the criticism in the, in the magazine was this, it was talking about how, uh, how Americanized our culture has influenced our churches in, in the US and how a lot of churches now, if you look at some of the bigger churches, they're looking for both a pastor and a CEO. Like the idea is mm -hmm. that you have this uh, charismatic leader that's an administrator and that can inspire crowds. And pastor is kind of a footnote on the side as, as shepherd. And of course, there's different levels of organization and things like that. But they were really critical of the idea, uh, especially when you looked at like the first Timothy chapter, when it talks about the overseer above reproach and faithful to his wife and all this. And how did that fit into the CEO mindset? And we think of and the reason that popped into my head is because as we think of, of, of hardworking Americans, and for the most part, I think our, our suburban congress are filled with hardworking Americans. Like there's this idea that if I'm I'm hardworking, I'm 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 doing God's work. I'm you know, kind of like what Dan had mentioned before too. Like I'm okay, you know. Um, and but how much has that uh, affected our our mindset about what God really wants from us? And the reason I thought of it was this other Lutheran author that I ran across. Uh, you guys heard of him before, but he he was in Australia for. Uh, for a while, and uh, I think his last name was Sassy. I don't, I don't. Oh no, I'm sorry. Uh, Herman Sassy from the uh, from yeah. he's passed away now. But sure, it, it was funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. He wrote about, and this was probably 50 years ago. Uh, he said the church administration in Europe follows the patterns of administration of the state, while in America the great business organizations seem to be unknowingly imitated by the churches. Uh, the consequence is that also the parish minister becomes more and more of an administrator and organizer who rushes from meeting to meeting and has not enough time for his proper calling to be a shepherd. Now, he wrote that 50 years ago, and that pace of life is probably a little slower then. Mm -hmm. But that was very convicting to me of, you know, if I've got one talent or five talents or 10 talents, am I really investing it in the way that God wants, or am I staying busy and, and adopting yeah. an American idea of success? And if, if that affects us as pastors, how much more does that affect our people in a wrapped up American culture and, and the idea of working hard and pushing forward with that same kind of thing? And so is it no wonder that we lose so much joy from using our resources for the Lord because we just end up in, in kind of that rat race? And so uh, that, that's the one thing I was going on with, with the application is, okay, so how do we, how do we refocus? other joy from using our talents for the Lord? And how do we check 
to see if, am mm. I just making a good salary and giving my 10% to church? Am I really, um, is, is that really what the Lord wants for me for what, what he's given to me? So I, that's the one thing that I thought of as I was just reading through some of the okay. stuff for today. Yeah. Yeah. Dan? Maybe you could add to that, um, you know, perhaps you see yourself as a one talent servant. You know, I don't, I don't have all the talents, all the others have, but perhaps your greatest talent or ability might be your availability. So I think of the shut-ins, right? You're like, oh, I used to do all this, 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 and now what good am I? Well, you've got time to talk to the Lord and you can pray on my behalf, you know, when I'm getting ready to preach, or you can pray for so-and-so, let your shut-ins know. Or even just think of your children too. Um, well, we're not in the full uh, workforce yet, so what do we have to offer? Well, you can encourage mom and dad. You can encourage your classmates. Um, just taking the time to sit down, so the shepherding idea kind of brought that out, Tom, where I'm going to take the time and listen to where you're at, what's going on, and I can just show the love of Jesus in that way and then encourage you with the word of God. So it doesn't matter because uh, even if it is one talent and that's something that we haven't mentioned here, you know, what is a talent worth back in those days? It, it was anywhere between what, 15 to 20 years um, uh, work worth yeah. of money. Right. So like $1.2 million, you know, let's use that. That's wow. That's a huge <laughs> responsibility and opportunity. So I think it's a great, sermon for those who are just thinking, ah, oh, he's talking to the council guys. He's talking to the, the movers and shakers that, you know, the women in the congregation who do a lot of stuff. Not, not to me. No, I'm talking to you. God is talking to you. Jesus is talking to you. Great. Yeah. Good thoughts for application. Anything uh, further that you could uh, share, Tom? Only one other thing that I brought up and again, it was from a little recent reading, but um, you know, us older guys are getting a little bit older, and hopefully we haven't lost all of our millennial pastors who are watching this podcast, because they're probably the only ones. I, I don't know if my friends have figured out how to tune into a podcast yet, but I was just reading an article, and it talked about changing values uh, from the, the generation after us, from our generation. And they said in the, in the Wall Street Journal, uh, they were talking about how in, the, in two decades ago, the four biggest values... Uh, the four biggest things that were most important um, were hard work, right? That was one of them. Uh, but it also revolved about having children, uh, patriotism or being an American and belief in God. Those were the four big ones 20, okay. 25, 30 years ago. They said, interestingly enough, when millennials are polled, and sometimes we trash millennials because, well, they're different than us. And, you know, we, we, we always look at ourselves as the greatest generation. But they said, you know, what was interesting for a lot of millennials who now are growing up, one of the four top uh, things that are still important to millennials is they, as they interviewed people that were, you know, looking for a career, um, hard work was still one of them, right? So they still wanted to find hard work, but they wanted to find, secondly, was a job that gave them meaning. Um, and, and, and making money or having kids was way down on the line. And they said, what shifted is, and what I really anticipated is sometimes as, uh, as we're becoming more of a secular, uh, country, they, they talked about how, what has shifted was that we have turned work into our religion. So it's become, it's given us identity. Uh, it's, it's become transcendent because it gives us purpose, like, like, you look at all the companies now that, you know, when they advertise, it's not about how good their product is, but how much money they give or their every dollar goes towards this or this or this, like there's purpose. And then it gives you community, like a sense of a sense of value. 
And, I, I, you know, I think as we look at that, uh, the, the thought came across that maybe it's not all about preaching hard work and, and you know, being um, just being a good citizen and working hard, but maybe it really is helping our people with that subtle shift of, of, of still coming back to and working for the Lord, uh, even from generation to generation. The same thing that apparently we have in common with another generation is hard work. But how do we bring it back to that all of this is from God and helping mm-hmm. the kingdom come? So just something I came from. Yeah. So instead of just uh, pointing people, okay, get out there, work hard, do what you can, start with, well, yeah, who are you? Uh, you know, we are so richly blessed as servants of the best master ever. Um, he gives us, uh, uh, fills our lives with these things and says, yeah, no, go ahead and use them, use them to my glory. And then framing our hard work in that as an opportunity to glorify him, right. Rather than it seeing it as an end in itself. Yeah. Great. Great. Um, good. Any ideas, uh, working with for themes, um, as you kind of encapsulate the main point here, uh, Dan, an idea. Sure. At first I was thinking, um, put your buried treasures to work. And then I thought, wait a minute, but they're not our treasures. Um, so then I amended that, put God's buried treasures to work. But I kept both words. So I'm, what I'm thinking of doing is in the theme, you've got put your buried treasures to work, but you've crossed out your and put God's on top. Okay. And so just reminding that these aren't yours, these are God's. And why are they buried? And I thought as an introduction, you could um, talk about there was a Norman Rockwell painting that was discovered behind a false wall in 2006, somewhere in Vermont. Um, the sons of, of the father who had hit it, you know, found it. And they sold it. It was worth $15.4 million, you know, so it was a genuine thing. It was worth a lot. And my question is, why the heck did dad hide it? Yeah. Right. Because what do you do with paintings? Especially if they're good, you put them on display so that it can be admired. Right. But he didn't do that. And then just transitioning to say, hmm, you probably don't have an expensive Norman Rockwell painting hiding in a false wall. But what treasures has God given to you that you have buried and that you're not using? And then I thought of like three parts. Um, so put God's buried treasures to work faithfully, joyfully, and then immediately. Um, and that's the one thing that we really haven't talked about here, but um, that's what the t- first two servants did. Immediately they yeah. put that to work. And then I think it can bring in the end times picture there because the master is coming back, right? So don't say, well, when I, when I graduate, uh, when the kids grow up, when I retire, what are the gifts God has given you right now? But then also what responsibility? So again, you might be that student going, well, this is not really, it's not talking to me. Well, then use your gift of availability, right? To encourage others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they went away at once and uh, and put the money to work in the story, right? So yeah, where are you? Where are you? What has God given you? Mm-hmm. Go, yeah, yeah, joyfully go. Uh, Tom, any theme ideas? <laughs> yeah, I, I like um, I came up with a, a little different, uh, a little different take on it. Uh, well, not exactly, but um, my idea, I thought I would do something along the lines of just instead of looking at the talents, the amounts and what was done with them, just starting off and keying on uh, the idea that we are servants and that God would entrust us with us. So my theme was servant or entrepreneur. And then um, kind of going along the lines of, of you know exactly what are we called to do? I had a couple of illustrations about guys that 
um, invested in uh, Microsoft early on and turned ten thousand dollars into four million, stuff like that. And when we think about investing, is that the kind of investing that we're thinking of when when the Lord gives us treasures and going along those lines with it? Uh, the other idea I had, and I think I talked a little bit about this last time, as this was coming up at the end of the year, I was thinking about using all of Matthew 25 as a three-part series. And I know we got that in-between space, you know, talking about what do you do on in-between space, like when you're when you're waiting and in between, and using last week's text, this week's text, and next week's text to kind of prepare people for the onslaught of the holiday season. And this one, you may or may not like, you know, three reasons, blah, blah, blah. But I was thinking of doing something like three ways to get ready for the holidays. One was preparing to, like taking the the, uh, the, the ladies, the Vestal Virgins from last week. Uh, plan on using what you have for a real purpose, which is a bit of transcendence and using that for this week. And then next week is going to talk about the sheep and the goats, but, you know, what we do, but focusing on people. Uh, using what we have for, you know, preparing ourselves. How do we use a holiday season in order to impact people? And then just talk a little bit about, uh, you know, invite the invite to Christmas and just sharing that message. So sure. those are my two thoughts. Yeah. And even if you don't do, uh, you know, a, a series like that, those are great ideas for uh, timely applications this time of year, people are thinking in those terms. So yeah, great suggestions. All right. Well, uh, let's wrap it up for today. Thank you. Dan, thank you, Tom. Um, and God bless you, preachers, as you work with yet another parable, um, thinking about joyful service in this time in between.